This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Zenju Earthlin Manuel. Zenju is an author and ordained Zen Buddhist priest. She combines Zen meditation, intuitive knowing, and indigenous wisdom in a path of liberation. She applies spiritual teachings to our lived experiences in the context of race, sexuality, and gender, and at the same time holds these experiences as gateways to absolute freedom. After seven years of following Buddhist teachings, a lucid spiritual dream led to the creation of the Black Angel cards, 36 oracle cards and messages which are being used around the world as a tool to help access one's true nature and to ease suffering. In her recent book, The Way of Tenderness, Awakening Through Race, Sexuality, and Gender, she reveals that dry wisdom alone is not sufficient to heal the wounds of the marginalized. An effective practice must embrace the tenderness found where conventional reality and emptiness intersect. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Zenju and I spoke about her experience of racism within Dharma practice communities and what she calls the fiery gateways that she had to walk through as part of her spiritual journey. We also talked about how oneness does not mean sameness and the importance of acknowledging our differences, even as we simultaneously recognize our unity. And we talked about the different levels of tenderness and what Zenju means by complete or liberated tenderness. Here's my conversation with Zenju Earthlin Manuel. Zenju, I'd love to begin just by welcoming you and thanking you for making the time for this conversation with me and with Sounds True. Thank you. Thank you. The subtitle of your book, The Way of Tenderness, is Awakening Through Race, Sexuality, and Gender. And I wanted to talk about, to begin with, the use of this word through. You're not talking about awakening beyond race, sexuality, and gender, but through race, sexuality, and gender. So tell me a little bit what you mean by that. So um, what I mean is um, that the uh, race, sexuality, and gender are gateways um, to those places we, we long for and seek, such as compassion or enlightenment or peace or harmony. And all of these wonderful, you know, experiences that we long for as uh, living beings. 
And so in my practice and in my training and just in my life period, uh, over the years, I've realized that um, to include and to explore and to learn to understand the nature of one's embodiment is crucial uh, and that you have, and also it's fire. So it's kind of like I used the word through, meaning like awakening through the fire. You could really just add those words onto it and drop race, sexuality, and gender in some ways, because basically what I'm talking about is our embodiment is uh, the fire that we need uh, ignited in order to, um, you know, make it through uh, the training or the path or the practices that we uh, take on. A lot of times we come to them looking for the opposite. We're coming to look for water. Um, but when we get there, it's fire. And so, um, and at the at this this fire, there's, um, you know, it's for us to walk through. It's gate the, at the gateway. Excuse me. There is the fire, and um, so we have to walk through it to go in and to and to meet these thresholds that uh, we were given. Um, they're gifts. So it's like a beautiful fire, a rejuvenating fire, a regenerating fire, not one that's going to destroy us, but we're always afraid of that. So we might want to avoid it. But um, given um, what I've experienced uh, in my spiritual uh, path, uh, this has been, these things, race, sexuality, and gender have been the gateways. And I for us all as human beings, if we looked at them that way, I think we would be able to um, at least explore it together and not be afraid. Yeah. yeah, so tell me more what you mean about this fiery nature. And maybe we can start with mm-hmm. race as a gateway that we can just explore together. I mean, I notice mm-hmm. it has a fieriness for me. I mean, I, I know yeah. even in preparing for this conversation, I had a sense of, God, I hope I don't make a fool of myself or say the wrong thing to Zenju or stick my foot in my mouth or just whatever. So I I do Mm -hmm. hope I'll, so I have a sense of fear that there's a fieriness Mm -hmm. in the potential of the conversation, but I want to know more what the fiery nature of awakening through race is for you. Yeah. Okay. So, um, in this embodiment that I am, which is uh, African descent and um, brown, dark, black person. Um, the immediate appearance um, brings on a particular behavior toward uh, my life, and I've have experienced um, the the results of systemic discrimination and systemic harm. And so, um, when one has a, without even saying one's name or becoming uh, known that uh, an individual has to um, experience it or a collective of people, group of people have to experience anything based on race, then um, the, the, the first thing that can come up for us is um, injury, which is hot, and the woundedness, which is hot, um, um, the the way you can um, begin to internalize the avoidance. So you have, then you have your hatred, you have self-hatred internalized. Uh, sometimes I call it internalized treason, where you begin to turn away from it to keep 
you know, away from the heat of it. So you turn away from yourself. Uh, you turn away from uh, trying to turn away from the feeling of being hated or not belonging or um, unable to live a full life as as others seem to be living. Uh, who um, And I'm speaking directly to mostly people who are uh, black or brown uh, in, in the context that I know, and I'm speaking mostly to people of Africa, about people of African descent and my experience in being part of that collective. So it's, it is pretty specific for me, and I, and I think it, it does, um, you know, it can be understood by others. So um, this fire uh, idea for me um, really came uh, in a dream, actually, uh, I'm I'm a very lucid dreamer, and once I was in India, and I had this dream about um, being burned. I was in the dream being burned, laying on a bed, one of those small, hard Indian beds, you know, old beds, and laying there, and the fire taking off and just being burned and being very afraid, you know, right away, like, oh my God, you know, I'm going to be destroyed, and um, I won't, I won't ever be, um, you know here again, actualized anything I want in my life. So as I'm laying in the bed, of course, the fear is high because I'm, I'm dying. Uh, as the dream went on, I realized I wasn't dying. And uh, the flames changed from a yellow red to a blue. And they became um, not the fire that was going to destroy me, but the fire that was going to sustain me. And so I think that it's it's important in our path to uh, begin to see that uh, race is um, it's it's troubling, you know, and and that's exactly where we want to be. That's exactly where uh, the work is in ending and easing suffering in the world and in our own lives. So it's easy to go around it, and I think that that happens a lot on spiritual paths, not to talk about these things because it creates separation and division, and um, most of all, you know, it creates fear, and uh, and it creates uh, worry, and um, and it's sometimes people say, this is not what I came for. When they come onto the spiritual path, this is not uh, what I want to talk about because these things aren't spiritual. And in my experience, these things are exactly um, spiritual. And we must begin with the fire. Now, so the fire is the first element uh, on our elemental, you know, cosmology in any path. So we start there. And uh, many, most of us want to start with the water part. So a lot of people say, oh, we're all one. And there's oneness and... Um, and I think that's, and I know, I won't think, I know that that's true, and that is an ultimate truth. I think we all know this, and we all feel it, and we can all say those words and know something inside of us that says that's true. And But at the same time, um, that's not where we suffer. And so we don't really have to worry about oneness. We don't, oneness is itself. We don't have to uh, pay it, you know, make it happen. Because if we're making it happen by stopping someone from speaking about their race, sexuality, or gender, then if you're then you're not stopping oneness, you're stopping something else. <laughs> I think you're stopping some kind of idea of what should be existing in the moment uh, of the conversation or of the teaching. 
So I feel that many of our, um, you know, yearnings for a to live a balanced life and to live one that uh, is um, feels like oneness and experience, one that's peaceful and harmony and interconnected and enlightened, these places already exist. And um, so if they already exist, then um, this fire of race and on is is part of uh, of the oneness. It's part of the path, and it's part of of, the, of what we must we must go through. So I think at every door of every path, and I've I've gone through several um, various spiritual paths. Mostly, I'm rooted. I have been rooted in Dharma, but I have gone through many. And every time at the gate, there's a fire. Every time. And the fire is something we must go to, the troubling place, the place that hurts, the place we're afraid of, the place that um, might even blind us. You know, it's so bright. And um, it could also be we're drawn to it until we get very close to that fire. And then we decide that this is not what we might want to do with ourselves or with our lives. So I've been through that experience as well. Because I'm interested in the spiritual path that you've taken and to become a Buddhist priest in your current form, I'd be curious to know what the fire was at each one of the gateways of the different spiritual groups you've joined or worked with and what it was like to cross yeah. through those various fires. Well, um, we'll just start with um, the Zen Buddhist uh, path, and so I walk into a um, a a collective a sangha that um, is primarily and dominated by uh, white male, mostly um, heterosexual. I'm not sure of all. Um, so I walk into this place. So now I wonder, oh, and I'm I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying. So what's going on? You know, I have to ask myself what's going on because I'm uncomfortable. I'm experiencing, um, you know, very overt sometimes uh, racist acts or unconscious racist acts or they're conscious of it or whatever. I'm experiencing things that say you don't belong. Um, I experience why are you here as if I'm not there for the Dharma. Um, and um, Oh, now that you're here, let's talk about uh, race, <laughs> you know, now that you're here. And so these things um, became my, what caused a great emotion, which is fire, right? So very strong emotions like anger, uh, of course, rage. I feel like they're two different things. Um, anger is kind of responding to an incident. And for me, rage is something I might have carried and have carried maybe most of my life because I have lived embodied in this way that I am and have been um, discriminated against and have had some harmful things happen to me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So the, the these um, old experiences are reactivated by being in a community um, that um, still is learning, you know, to be interrelated as, as I am as well. So the fire for me um, was to 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 stay, you know, to be able to. And I don't I don't recommend it for everybody. <laughs> it was for me. I had to ask myself, why are you staying? And it, I was called to the teachings. 
I'm always called to the teachings um, and who is holding those teachings sometimes uh, is not as important as can I uh, learn something and be taught uh, about something about life while I'm here. So I decided the what I was experiencing, the um, uh, oppression that is systemic in the world, definitely was showing up where I, uh, on my spiritual path, was exactly what I was meeting outside in the world. So I decided to learn something about myself in it within a container called Dharma. And in that process, that's how the book came about for me. I, I think I have been holding on to some of these teachings that I was learning myself. I actually was interpreting the Dharma in, in, through my lived experience rather than just only listening to what the teacher was saying through their lived experience. So now what does that mean to me? Why do I need to know about the Four Noble Truths? And how does that affect the person who was just killed in my neighborhood last week? You know, so I had to make a, a connection to my life. And so I felt that um, the the path of, of the Dharma was probably the, the most fiery <laughs> existence that I had. I didn't burn up. I did come out of that fire um, with a more awakened understanding of my own, embod- own embodiment and how I respond to um, the chaos and the racism. One thing that I want for myself and that I have always wanted for myself is to live fully. I want to live a full and liberated life. And so it was important for me to, because that's what I heard in the teachings. Once I heard that in the teachings, I knew that I was in the right place. Now, whether or not I would experience that depended upon me and how I was going to apply the teachings to my life. It was it required a lot of stripping down of my values and beliefs, and also it it um, uh, required that I um, uh, expand in a way that um, maybe I wasn't willing at first, but then I began to uh, do that in expansion and became exposed, not to others, but exposed to myself, because that's the exposure that's needed. I might have been exposed to others, but that is that wasn't where um, my learning was going to occur. It was going to occur in the exposure to myself. Um, I've been in other on other paths as well, and um, usually, uh, you, I mean, I could actually be in a group of people of color and still experience um, uh, uh, racial stratification. You know. Um, that has been created and imposed by our society. So still in those um, racial stratifications, uh, a woman who is um, of African descent, who is uh, queer, who has uh, all the, you know, pages of marginalization will probably um, be still seen um, not necessarily in the same reflection as say someone who is Asian, an Asian male who's straight, you know, so it, it's still, there's a variation and there's still fire there that must be uh, attended to, even if I'm in a people of color group or if I'm in a queer group, there's still a fire there, you know, around race. And so for this um, country, I think especially uh, what comes up for me is 
that the um, people of African descent were the people who are descendants of the slaves in this country and on this land. And so that makes it for a very potent um, path and a very potent uh, existence. And so um, it still permeates um, through our culture. And the more we ignore it, and I mean everybody, not just people, not just the white people or those who are descendants of the slave master, but everyone, you know, as long as we ignore that and we and we're not interested in healing or using it as a fire in which we um, transform our lives, then um, it'll continue to be that thing we fear all the time. That fire that's at the door will just stand there and watch it. You know, so I'm I'm the kind of person I'll go through. I probably will get some definitely a few burns. <laughs> you know, in the process, but, um, I, I've discovered, uh, I, I still can live through them, you know, and, uh, it takes a particular nature, I guess, to do that. Um, I think it takes a particular, um, desire, uh, yearning to be, uh, liberated and whole, like truly liberated at all. Yeah. Now, Zendra, you said many interesting things, but one of the things I picked up on was you were talking about being part of a primarily white, male, heterosexual, Zen Buddhist community. And I've been in plenty of retreats and communities, Buddhist communities like that. And that one of the responses was, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Now we can talk about race. And that that was something that was wounding and hurtful for you to have that response. And yet I can completely imagine people saying, you know, we've been wanting to have someone, a black person, someone from African-American descent as part of our sangha for a decade. You're finally here. Let's talk about race. So how would you have wanted that a community like that to welcome you and include you and invite you that would have been different? Well, um, for me, I wasn't, as some people are, I wasn't necessarily looking to be welcomed. You know, I, I think I was shocked when, you know, there was situations that didn't feel that. I, I felt that it would be um, difficult, and I felt that it would be, uh, you know, when I got in the door, I knew where I was, and the door was unlocked. So <laughs> I knew what I was about, what I was putting myself into, but I wasn't looking and needing that sangha to do something for me because for one for me i was there for the dharma teachings and as everyone else and so um what i did in my um on my path is many many people uh who were before me you know um in uh, many of the sanghas in the bay area had done a lot of work already around unlearning racism and and helping the the um the centers in, uh, here in the Bay Area, Buddhist centers, become more diverse. And I had seen it and watched it. And so I chose for myself um, to, even though they might ask that question, I already decided that I wasn't there for that question. I wasn't there to answer that. I wasn't there for the conversation. I was there for the healing and for the teaching. So it happened many times. They would ask me, um, different things, or they would assume because of my silence um, that I was uh, either just fine 
um, and nothing was happening or, um, you know, um, maybe sometimes people of color may thought I was just assimilating or, you know, just, you know, pretending it wasn't happening. So neither one of those extremes were happening with me. So, yes, uh, one of the teachers said, uh, are you experiencing any, um, you know, racism? And, you know, I said yes. And they were very surprised because I hadn't really talked about it. So there were many incidents. And what I would do with those incidents, sometimes I would bring them to a teacher. But most times I would go sit with the teachings and see what in these teachings speak to how I'm feeling now. And what can I say about this uh, on a collective level? I wasn't ready to talk about what to say to the collective, but I, because I was still doing my own work and I didn't want to allow that tangent to take me away from my own work, you know, to do my own healing and to do my own uh, liberation work. And so I didn't, um, I had, I was on a committee and I got off the diversity committee uh, and I I really stopped, um, you know, you, um, being distracted. It was a distraction for me to, uh, from what I felt I was there to learn. In the end, I was able to say something collectively, which is what we have as the book, The Way of Tenderness. And so I, um, when things like that would happen about around race, like, um, you know, when I got ordained, someone said, oh, God, I wish you were here earlier because there was a um, there was an African-American man here and it would have been great if he saw you, you know, here because, you know, I'm black and I'm robed, you know. And I think in essence, that probably might have been a true statement. But then again, maybe that black person's not interested in looking <laughs> not interested in finding a, a robed black person. You know, that might not be that person's interest. But it, but when it said to me, and um, for me, I have to just see it as that person's um, perspective, you know, and I also see it as an overall uh, institutional perspective as well. And I have to be careful to enter into places that I want to be rather than places that they want me to be because yeah. I'm black. Yeah. So it makes it very, very, you know, like a balance, like a dance. And I, I feel like I've been successful in being in places that I want to be, you know, and I and I pretty much have waited almost like in about four weeks, I'll be fully transmitted, you know, pretty much. It feels like I'm kind of at the end of a road here, but, you know, maybe it's the beginning. I don't know. And I feel that... um I made the choices where I feel like I've gotten a lot of the teachings and now I feel like I could speak to some of the things they're asking me and also to some of the things um, many people of color, especially um, uh, people of African descent that ask me about Zen and Zen practice. I think I have answers now um, rather than answering from some place of, oh, it's a horrible place. Um, my teacher Zinke Blanche Hartman, I always tell people I chose her um, because she was the one person at Zen Center that loved Zen Center. I mean, she loved it no matter what. And I needed someone like that to be with. So when that place came for me where 
the fires were so uh, tough, I, I didn't think I was going to make it. I'd have to, you know, sit with her. So that beca- it was good to have a teacher like that. But on the other hand, sometimes when I would talk about things, it was hard to talk about because she loved Zen Center sometimes too much. <laughs> so it was difficult, but it was, it was, I chose her because of that. So I could not be there. And, and then um, I call it kind of being in bed with somebody you really hate. You know, it's not my style. I would rather leave. Mm-hmm. I would rather leave and um, do something else. I just, it's its not my work to turn that Titanic of a ship of institutionalized racism around by myself, you know, at a center. I just did not take that on. And um, I felt that what I, I knew I was going to have something to offer. I knew that. I didn't know what and how, but I knew I would have something to offer. Um, not only Zen Center, but all of us who are interested in spiritual paths and yet we're embodied in these ways. And there's something going on that makes us all suffer and that makes us all afraid of each other. So I felt I, I was, I prayed that I'd have something to offer. And I think I've been wanting to do this since I was a kid, <laughs> since the first time I realized Black wasn't, um, Black was the wrong color <laughs> when I was young. So I think I've been working on it for a long time. It's been a, a lifetime path. And it didn't just only come out of Zen. You know, it came out of uh, my Christian upbringing. Um, I practiced Yoruba for a while. And um, I practiced in Nishun traditions. Um, I, I practiced in Sundance Lakota ceremonies. And so it's all been about being connected to the earth so that when these things that happen because of our um, inabilities right now as a people, as uh, living beings, to see each other as that, um, then I um, have an earth beneath my feet to stand upon. Or even if it gets groundless, I can at least fall on my knees still upon the earth. Your book, your offering, if you will, to this conversation that you've been having and are now helping other people to have inside of themselves, it's called The Way of Tenderness. And you talk about tenderness in a, in a really interesting way. And I, I wonder, first of all, if you can share with our listeners just what you mean by tenderness. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the... The whole uh, use of the word came from my name, Zenju, uh, which means complete tenderness. Zenju means complete tenderness. And that is um, the name is to speak of an essence that you must work at. And so uh, when I got the name, I felt like, wow, I, you know, why would I get a name called complete tenderness? And I already, I already feel very tender and raw. You know, so I decided to walk with this uh, name and to walk with this sense of what, you know, tenderness might be. And so for many years, for like four or five years, I walked with it. And so I feel like tenderness, it, it can come in, in many various uh, levels and forms. So tenderness in the beginning for me is a very raw and very uh, wounded uh, space, you know, that um, that um you know that would paralyze me at times keep me from feeling i could live a full life 
and um, even uh, cause depression or even cause um, some idea that uh, maybe I'll just leave this earth, you know, not wanting to be here. So that's that's the first kind of level of tenderness. It's very, very raw, very painful and very wounded. And then um, as I begin to sit more, uh, sitting meditation and sitting long and over many years and months and weeks and long, um, I found uh, myself uh, kind of going through this cooking process, as they say. And in that cooking process, I began to feel um, I still had this raw woundedness, but there was also a softness and gentleness. And some of that was because a lot of the sitting was wearing me down. There was a wearing down going on. And um, and it was very um, discombobulating to be uh, that uh, vulnerable, you know, to be um, worn. I even wrote a poem about it um, called See the Butterfly because that's the image that came up. And that's a very vulnerable animal to be um, so soft and just flooding about and can easily be hurt. And so um, that's kind of the middle So we got the first level is sort of this raw kind of woundedness. And then the second level being still the raw woundedness is in there, but there's more of a soft gentleness and kind of, um, you know, not able to do anything about anything. You're just kind of there, you know, in uh, in this soft, uh, gentle place, maybe it's even silent, you know, a silent place, but it's not a paralyzed place. It's not paralyzed like that first kind of phase. Um, so the the third phase for me, then as I began to c- continue this very soft, vulnerable, gentle place where that to me was um, wordless uh, and without action, I moved into uh, a more what I call liberated tenderness in which um, I could hold all that that had hurt me in my life I could also be soft and and gentle, but I could also act in my life in a very liberated place. And that was what I decided complete tenderness was, was that you you are able to um, know these things and talk about these things that um, happened in one's life, um, still maybe even feel the impact of it, but you still have a freedom in, as to how you live and how you speak about your life. Um, um, sometimes at one point I was talking in a workshop about, um, you know, this liberated tenderness and someone raised their hand and said, you know, well, you must have had a really happy childhood. Everything must have been really great for you. That's the way you're talking about your life, <laughs> you know, and then I began to tell the person about my life and that, no, you know, I told them about some experiences I had, um, uh, constant experiences I had with my mother, and um, and how I I am I can talk about those experiences, but from a liberated um, place and not from that wound uh, wound and harm and paralyzed or or speechless. The second phase. So um, I learned to be able to talk about these things um, or to use them. Um, for my life um, as an expansion, as gateways to uh, the next step and what's the next step, you know, in my life. And so complete tenderness is being able to uh, take that next step. There's still, you, you know, so 
for me, that was important because I thought we needed to go from tenderness to armor, you know, like get tough, you know, get hard, you know, be, get, you know, someone said, oh, you have a weak spine, you know, or get, get a stiff spine, you know, so I, I, you know, I wanted that, but I realized that, you know, that wasn't who I was. It wasn't going to happen for me in that way. So um, I had to be with Zinju, you know, with that. And the Ju part means tenderness. J-U is tenderness. So um, actually like the word Ju-Do, Do is the way and Ju is tenderness. So Ju-Do is a way of tenderness. It's a martial art, but it, it teaches you as you get, you know, pushed to the mat, pushed to the mat, pushed to the mat to still stand up and do the martial art. But in a different way, you still may even be still pushed to the mat. But I bet the feeling is different after a few a number of years because you understand what is happening when you're on the mat. And then when you stand up, you're, you know, you stand up differently over the years. And that, that over the years is the liberated tenderness, is the liberated judo. So that's, um, you know, the, the best way I can explain it. Um, it's almost a wordless uh, to me still in some ways to um, explain complete tenderness. And I think for everyone, it's a, a process, a different process. And maybe it's a different word, you know, for for another person. But for me, it was important to... Uh, you know, like, oh, this is the way of tenderness, not just that, that raw, paralyzed, wounded place, and not just that um, soft, gentle, you know, I, I can't say anything, I can't move, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just quietly going to be here in my vulnerable place. So it's, it, it's a little bit more than that, you know, and it takes a lot of uh, going through all those phases. They're not, they're not linear, you know, it's definitely like everything else. And that spiritual, it's circular. So, you're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive three free gifts just for visiting us. Go to SoundsTrue.com backslash free. That's SoundsTrue.com backslash free. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. When we started our conversation, Zenju, you talked a little bit about fire, and sometimes people come to spirituality, they're looking for more of the watery, peaceful quality and how you have to go through a fire. And I'm curious, complete tenderness, what elemental association do you have with that, with complete tenderness? Um, I think at that point you're coming, you have, um, you do have the water, the fire and the water comes together, you know, but what happens when that happens? Then you have the earth. So uh, I feel very much a part of the earth when there's a liberated uh, tenderness. I feel um, that I'm, I'm grounded and um, very much walking with um, what is ancestral in me, and therefore with ancestors. And I feel 
that this, um, you know, so I feel like you're at the earth. And, uh, and so like, at the, you know, the beginning, the first phase is more like the fire. And then in the middle, it's more like the water that, you know, you kind of like when you're at the water, you tend to kind of be motionless a lot. You know, you're just looking at the waves and you're vulnerable. The water makes you feel in your heart, your emotions. And then the complete uh, tenderness to me is like that water and fire come together and make the earth by which you plant your feet in for the rest of your life. So that's how, that's the way it feels, (laughs) you know, inside me. Yeah. There's a quote from The Way of Tenderness that I really liked that I'd like to share and have you comment on. And you were writing about spiritual liberation, about liberated tenderness. And you said, spiritual liberation is being free from projections of superiority and inferiority among sentient Uh beings. Uh Yes. Yes. Yeah. And to me, that is really the most crucial, one of the most crucial uh, teachings that I was trying to, that I received that I wanted to convey in that book that wants that in anything that we do, um, even if it's not around race, sexuality, and gender, that if there's the notion of what is superior and what is inferior, um, then we um, we are moving away from the spiritual liberation, the enlightenment, the boundlessness, and all of those things that, um, you know, we, we long for. So, um, in our our society, I think, you know, talking about United States, so where I've lived my life, um, there is always this this sense of uh, what a superior being is and an inferior being, and this this notion can um, you know cross many lines: race, sexuality, gender, class, ability. You know, it can go on and on and on. And even like I said in the book, it even crosses into nature. You know, so here we're willing to um, chop down the oak trees, and in California, but we're 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 very hesitant to chop down the redwoods. So it's just very ingrained in us, you know. And um, I wanted to to bring that forth of how that same ingrained uh, perspective uh, is what um, you know. I mean, we probably wouldn't say it. But it does cause the fear of each other and what we think might happen because there is that perspective that someone is uh, inferior and someone else is superior. That's what's put into our minds early as children um, through various, you know, avenues and means. So, um, and it happens very early, very, very early. You know, I remember... My nephew, he has an African name when he was very little, three years old. He was looking at a magazine in the doctor's office, and uh, he said, yeah, I want her to be my girlfriend in the magazine. And it was very surprising because we thought we were giving him all of these kind of uh, African principles, and he had chosen um, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl playing on some kind of some toy in the magazine. And so, you know, you know, so it's there, you know, and so, but, okay, so we're not going to change the magazine, right? Our magazine may never change. And we, we still ask for these things that doesn't say you, you stop doing that. 
But what happens um, is for me is to, you know, um, to talk with the child also, but to um, begin to get underneath, you know, this, what we, uh, how we feel and think of each other. Like legislation is wonderful, but no one ever understood affirmative action. <laughs> it, we never changed anything. We never transformed our consciousness. Never into anything we just you know had something and then we dropped it and so we could put a lot of black children in the magazine but that won't change necessarily the consciousness you know and so um you know i'm interested in how do we change the the energy and the consciousness between us so that we do experience oneness without trying to make it happen by keeping someone quiet about their race, sexuality, and gender, you know, or trying to keep everything in harmony or not separate, you know, by keeping this quiet. We don't talk about this, you know. So, um, and, you know, I have gotten letters from people who are teachers who have tried to talk about it and have um, white teachers who have talk, tried to talk about race, sexuality, and gender in their sanghas and sangha members being upset about it, mm-hmm. you know, wanting them to keep it at the door, you know, mm. this is not what we come from. Don't, don't, I mean, actual letters have been, I've, I've heard this. So um, I have had people walk out in, um, you know, Buddhist, you know, just once I'll say, <laughs> one time it, it happened, I was, you know, they just weren't ready for it. They didn't know who I was and what I was coming to talk about. So that was a little bit, um, could have been problematic for the the, um, the center, the Buddhist center. They weren't, you know, so it's kind of like a setup for both me and the people. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, people need to know what we're getting ready to talk about. And they, ha- and they might not know how. So many people see me coming. And I've heard some people said, I wasn't going to come because I didn't want to hear it. You know, I thought it was going to be the same thing. Some people are not reading the book because they think it's going to be the same thing, you know. And I wrote it because I I was hoping not to write the same thing because we've already written it. So it was no need for me to write another book mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, uh, we already are aware of what's going on, you know, between us in our sanghas, in our communities, and in, in the world. We're, we're aware, and I think we've had some great teachers who have laid it out so plainly over and over and over again. You know, we've had Angela Davis, we've had Bell Hooks, we've had some Alice Walker, we've had some wonderful teachers, Tony Morrison, showing us and telling us, you know, Tim Wise, we've had some great teachers. And so now, to me, I don't need to do that part. I didn't feel like I needed to do that part. And that's not what came up in my life from my bones. And so I wanted to see, um, is the Dharma trying to be applied to this life I'm living and seeing before me. And so that's the reason why that, that it come, the book came to me because oftentimes when we're dealing with race, sexuality, and gender or diversity issues, spiritual communities go outside the path to go to get the answer. Or if they're inside the path, the path, the, the word is we're, it's, we're all one and, and it's emptiness. So either way, it's too much to me missing, you know, this place that is right with us. We have the most magnificent gift ever, and that is to be born with a body and to be born as nature. You know, so why not use this 
because if we don't, I think we're going to miss the whole, <laughs> the whole journey. And some people don't even call it a journey, just the whole moment, the whole existence right now in this moment. It's like it, we will miss it. And that's the way I felt. I wanted to be present there with this embodiment, you know. And um, regardless, if someone does think I'm there to present because of my race, that's uh, my color. That's that's where they um, they will learn that I'm not there for that. And that's what at my center they learned I wasn't there for that. <laughs> You know, and um, they watched me and they watched and I watched them and I went on and I learned um, as much as I could learn to help and heal my life. It was a healing path. And so that's and I took it. And so um, maybe I'll be taking another one. <laughs> Who knows? And I'm sure I will. I, I can see it arising. So as as we were here every moment, you know, it doesn't end. You know, there's no. I always tell my students, there's no diploma, and they get so sad. Uh-huh. You know, I'm even starting to stop calling them students, you know. <laughs> and the, really what I, what we're doing is, um, you know, they're, you know, we're all apprenticing in this life, you know, and we're kind of doing it together. And I'm, you know, they're an apprentice, you know, of, of the circle I hold, and uh, I'm an apprentice of a circle of other, what other people hold. So that the student idea, you can um, drop trying to be, um, uh, I call it holy, (laughs) you know, there's no holy and um, there's no uh, perfection in none of it. And then there is perfection in all of the imperfections. And so I, I uh, yeah. Now, I want to just go a little further, if it's okay, with this idea mm-hmm, of yeah. being being free from projections of superiority and inferiority. And, you know, I noticed that that's something people do all the time, subtly. I do it. And it could be mm-hmm. even about this person has more money or less money or this person's, you know, better looking or thinner. I mean, it doesn't have to be about race, sexuality, and gender. It could be about all kinds of ways we're comparing and, mm-hmm. you know, evaluating. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little up in this situation. Oh, I feel a little down in this situation. So mm-hmm. how do you suggest people address that when they see, oh, look what's coming up for me. I'm measuring myself. Right. Because there's not an understanding there um, about... Um, you know, so you have to first of all take that in. <laughs> I'm gonna stop before you go to understanding that you do have to. That's the strong emotions, the indicator that um, that you're in um, you're in this place of uh, of one of the phases of tenderness. Not necessarily, you know, the the one where you're feeling liberated. Because if it's an emotion and it's stopping you, you're kind of in the paralyzed place. Or you could just be just plain vulnerable, you know, and quiet and silent. But what I I understood um, when I would uh, feel these things, you know, I used to want to correct people, let them know who I was, that kind of thing. Um, And um, that was very exhausting work. So I'm not interested in that kind of work. And so what that work that I'm interested in is um, going back and remembering what I learned about Buddha nature and what I learned about that um, this Buddha nature 
course, there's many definitions for that, that this Buddha nature or true nature or magnificence of life is uh, still present, even in in the midst of someone's um, inability to have a direct experience with me and me to have a direct experience with them. Because I know now, right now, in the middle of all of this is this pure emotion. And so I can hold it. I can hold that emotion, not dwell it, make it make it me or make it center to my life. Because I had I learned that too, to to not make it center stage for me. But it doesn't go off stage either. It's still there because it's an indication. I need that. I need that fire. You know, we need to be ignited. We want to be. We don't want that. We don't want to be ignited <laughs> with each other. We don't want that fire with each other. We want just the water, but we need to be ignited to get to the water, you know. So together, you know, to come to the water, you've heard that, come to the water and heal together. You know, we have to come there together. And so, but the fire, you know, if we keep running away from it every time it gets ignited, even within ourselves, then we're never going to get there. So for me, um, I do have to come back to that, sense of what I learned about Buddha nature, our true nature or essential nature or being as expansive as the ocean or as high as the tree, even though I am, I was telling one student, you know, I said, you know, that apple tree you have in your yard, that's you. And I said, the only thing is when the apple tree, the apple tree doesn't get, have emotion you know, and says, I'm not going to give you any apples anymore because, you know, I don't like what you did yesterday, you know. And so, you know, I just wanted her to know that, that you're still, the, so you can just remember, but it doesn't mean that you don't have any apples ever to give, you know. So I, I just, we have to remember that for ourselves in that moment, for me, that that I, that it is, there is Buddha nature and there is, you know, but it doesn't mean I get rid of how I feel necessarily. I hold it and I also, you know, explore this other pure self um, that sometimes some teachers talk about a lot uh, that's untouched necessarily, that's untouched in some way by suffering. Or some people call it this witness, which sometimes can be hard for people because that means you're stepping outside of something to see yourself. But I really just feel it. I'm right here with me and this embodiment and seeing this interrelationship every time as a, um, a chance to uh, catch, you know, like ignite, like an energy, like a, like when you turn the car on, you know, the ignition, you know, chang. okay, the car is on. Where am I going <laughs> on this ride? You know, and sometimes the car gets turned on and it gets turned off because I know I'm not going on that journey. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need to go on that one. And I, that, that was, uh, but it reminded me, oh yeah, that, that I, I had that fire ignited before. And then eventually it just doesn't get ignited. You know, it just, it just stops. And, um, and, uh, it, and then it make it come back, you know, it could go, uh, you know, we could call it remission <laughs> and then come back. You know, because that's light, you know, that's that these things that come, it's just not, um, I th- I'm, a, I'm a real fan of uh, Mark Nepo and one of my books, 
uh, tell me something about Buddhism. I included in there this uh, piece he wrote about fire and the transformation of fire. And I really like the way in which he talks about um, there's the rejuvenating fire and then there's a fire that destroys. And then there's this hand that reaches out sometimes and, 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 uh, and to help us through the fire. And sometimes we burn that hand or we don't reach out for it at all, you know, because we don't trust it. And that hand is ourselves. That's that hand, you know, it's that, that Buddha nature, that essential self that reaches out and says, you know this, you know this me. Here, here's, here's that hand so you remember, you know. So I don't know if that's his, his interpretation of his own work, but that's the way I have taken that, those, that teaching in. It's, um, I think it's called The Fire of Transformation by uh, Mark Nepo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Zenji, there's a couple other things I really want to, make sure we talk about. And one is a paradox that you address in the way of tenderness, which is in so many spiritual teachings, there's a pointing to of how everything is totally perfect as it is right now. There's nothing that needs to be done. Things are perfect. And yet here we are talking about awakening through race, sexuality, and gender and in situations and in communities where there's clearly a lot of ignorance, oppression, injustice. So how do you make sense of that spiritual paradox? Everything's perfect, but God, the situation needs to be changed. Yeah. So the way I talk about um, when you said everything is perfect and there's nothing we need to do about it, that part I, I, I would not take, not um, except that and there's nothing to do about, there's nothing to do. Everything is perfect, dot, period, period, right there. Everything is perfect and the nothing to do about it. So that's the nothing to do about it part is our Western sensibility, our civilization sensibility that we, we are here to fix things and correct things. So that, that's when you add that little piece on, that, that's not the teaching. The teaching is everything is perfect, period, period. Now, the other part is that, and then there's imperfection. And that's why everything is perfect. It's really hard to understand. I really, um, it took a long time for me to, to um, when that came to me as a teaching, just through my own bones, you know, really, that um, even in the the exhaustion of uh, you know dealing with uh, racism and homophobia and on, that in the, that sense that that it that exhaustion itself was a perfect path, but you know it because it was so imperfect around it being something that. Um, cannot change. I um, cannot change my skin color. I mean, some people try, but it still doesn't work right all the way. So um, I think what we fear um, most on a spiritual path and don't trust about um, spirit is that it can't help us in our relative lives. And um, I and that it can't correct anything because it doesn't have. Uh, I have more power to do that than spirit. I have more power to make things more perfect, you know, than um, 
than spirit or than a spiritual path. I have more power. So therefore I must do something to that is not perfect. If something's not perfect, I must do something about it. So there's nothing um, more important than like in Zen, you know, yeah, there's a lot of activities. And so one is sewing a rope. You have to sew it by stitch by stitch by stitch by stitch by stitch. So of course, there's perfect stitches and there's like horrible ones, you know, as you go. Plus, you know, friends help stitch and they don't know how. So you get all these crazy stitches sometimes all over your robe. In the end, you could get focused on that. You know, you could say, okay, I'm going to take all these stitches out that I don't like. Start all over again. Or, you know, I'm going to let the imperfection exist because it's perfect that I can see Jane Doe's stitch here and know that that was her and that's her part uh, her contribution to this collective representation of liberation so um so the perfect i would say is that i think we're afraid of that teaching it's everything is perfect but it's perfect because it's imperfect you know it's both you know, and it's and and so the correction, if we go as perfect, and we have to correct everything, and and it's very difficult. It's very difficult to say, okay, I'm going to be an activist, and I'm going to follow the the path of Dharma. So what we do is we continue to speak, you know, uh, about fixing things and working in opposition, and then we go meditate about it. Well, that's not integral. That's not integral. Because you haven't brought the teaching to that that time, the opposition. You know what's the teaching and the opposition? What's the 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 perfection and the imperfection in the opposition? You know, and and what and then can we trust that um, what we're doing in our lives, uh, if it's meditation or whatever a spiritual practice is, that what we're doing really uh, impacts. Uh, how we how we are, you know. Uh, in the end, um, I've always been taught in the crucial moment. What are you going to do in the crucial moment? And we all are going to have one. You know, we've had several, and then we'll have the death one, right? The one when we dying. So, what are you going to do in that crucial moment? You know, you can't fix that. You can't fix that's perfect and imperfect all in one moment. You know, so that's why I um, I do trust that what my response to the human condition, my uh, my commitment and dedication to a spiritual life uh, as a response to the human condition, I trust. And because I have seen it work in my life and I have seen it because it works in my life, I have seen it impact other people. So I trust that energy. And many of us do not. We trust our agenda, our method. Not to say we don't do those things. I really believe that we must speak out and 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 do things that bring these issues, uh, many issues uh, in our society that cause us ill being. We 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 have to speak and be out there to make awareness. But when we become to the place that. Um, we get enraged because uh, someone hasn't done what we wanted to do. We're enraged or we're, you know, just about to lose it. Then we've gone too far. I think we've gone to that place where we don't like people that kind of uh, godlike, 
position and uh, and influence. Uh, what we do is go out there and we do it, and then we come back, we rejuvenate, and then we go out there and do it, and then we come back and we rejuvenate, and then we go out there and do it. That's that's the process, and um, and if we become as uh, dogmatic each one becoming dogmatic by each one's position. And we all know where that leads to. And um, it's very tiring, you know, um, and exhausting. And we have such power as living beings. We have as much power as that butterfly that transforms from the caterpillar to the wings. You know, uh, we, we can do that. I was telling somebody about our breath, you know, just yesterday. I said inside of us is it's like ninety eight point six degrees in there. <laughs> That's a lot of fire. So when we're sitting and we're breathing, we're dealing with all that heat. And so why not use that, you know, to awaken us to to ignite? You know, we are we are all of it. We also have a lot of water and we also have a lot of earth. So it's all right there and if we can trust that when we can find a way to acknowledge all of that and recognize all of that, even in our protesting, to recognize that, then I think we will have a whole protest and we will have a whole spiritual path, <laughs> you know, if we can acknowledge it all in there. So, so that, that's perfect to me. And, it, and it's imperfect, you know, and um, it's, it's together. It comes together. Without it, you know, and um, but with we don't not do anything, you know. That's a, that's an or necessarily do anything all the time. Um, I did not take up action in the uh, Zen Center. I did not. It was a choice. I did that doesn't say I didn't speak because <laughs> I did, and I spoke in places and at times and in a way that I wanted to, not in the way that I was. Um, um, that people would have liked me to do it. That's mm-hmm. how they would have liked me to do it, maybe. But mm-hmm. I didn't do it that way. They, they might have wanted me to do it the way they were doing it, you know, but I didn't. You know, um, people are like that, especially when they don't feel well. Where they are, they want people to join because you must not be feel well either. Come on. And I didn't feel well, but that wasn't how I was going to get well. I chose a different path. So. Mm-hmm. Zenju, there's one other quote I want to read you from the book because this really struck me. And here it is. By not acknowledging difference, we unwittingly exaggerate the difference until it screams to be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And so when I speak about, and I really could add in there, you know, um, when we don't acknowledge the unacceptable differences, because mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people love to talk about difference and I, they're like, yeah, everything's different. And I said, let's talk about the unacceptable ones. So, cause where we suffer. So I remember when, um, rap came about and before that I'm old enough to know there was a lot of, uh, kind of loud poetry in my day when I was young in my twenties by the last poets and different groups, you know, who did a lot of loud speaking out. So when the rap music came, I said, of course, <laughs> of course, 
because it's there. It's the scream to be acknowledged, the scream to be recognized, and it just gonna get. It just gets louder and louder. So now we don't hear a lot of. You know, we might not. We're used to the rap music. We're dancing to it. It's assimilated into the society. So now other things are happening that are screaming out at us, like killings and murders. You know, so so there will all if we're not going to recognize and that there are unacceptable differences, there are people in our society that that we have deemed will not be educated, will not, you know, have a job, you know, and and they know it. And at age 10, it's not going to happen then. And we don't acknowledge that and recognize that then it's just going to be get louder and louder and louder. It's very loud in Oakland. There's a lot of gun shooting. And it doesn't matter what part of Oakland you live in, you're going to hear it. So, and they're not um, a little pop guns. They're semi-automatic, some of them. So you're beginning to hear more and more because we still haven't got to that place where something's gone wrong and we better turn it around fast, you know. Or it's going to get louder, and it may get louder and louder. And I don't know if I'll be alive to see it all, where it's going to go. But it has increased a lot in the time I've been alive. And so I think that that if the differences are not acknowledged, they will scream out. They will scream out at us. And even in our our own sanghas and spiritual circles, the screaming is happening. But because we felt we're not supposed to hear it or do it, we can't acknowledge it and we can't recognize it because it's all being repressed, you know. So uh, and then it comes out some other way, you know, like suddenly the whole song is dispersed, (laughs) you know, or something, you know, things happen or it's suddenly in the news, you know, some some of the different um, reports about sexual assault in our, in in communities spiritual communities not just then but in our buddhism but also in christianity everywhere you know because the the we're not hearing the cry of the earth we're not hearing the scream you know um it's all repressed and so that's what that statement's about is um not acknowledging something that's happening you know that's so different and so scary and so unacceptable that we're quiet. So that, that would be, um, that's the paralyzed. So we're, we're as a society, we're in that paralyzed, raw, tender place. And so I feel like I'm just, the book is acknowledging that it's my acknowledgement of these things in this place. And, um, also, uh, trying to recognize it, um, and help us all do it together, you know, recognize this together and um, and and see where we go with that, you know, to see um, can we call it out? Because I'm not the first one to say call it out, but I think I'm trying to call it out in a way that it can be heard, that it can go through the um, uh, directly to the heart, directly to the soul and not to a mind game or a word game, a syntax game, you know, not there. So, yeah. 
Zendu, just one final question for you, which is this program is called Insights at the Edge. And I often like to end the conversation by asking people what the current edge is for them personally in their work and in their growth process, if you will, if you feel comfortable mm-hmm. sharing that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I think right now, um, you know, my edge is, uh, I deal a lot with, um, my own personal physical and chronic pain in my own body a lot right now. And I, um, in, in my lifetime, I have um, paid a lot of attention to, uh, cultivating the mind and spending a lot of time with that and then um, cultivating my heart as well and in that process. But at the same time, there's a way that, um, you know, I have um, pushed um, through to uh, do the work. And I, I, I speak on this because I think a lot of us do that. And then, and then we're certainly surprised when we um, come up with some um, kind of uh, um illness that uh, will um, end our lives. So um, even just recently, I got some, you know, information about something that could possibly, you know, not immediately in my life, but it could. And I got a lot of tests around it and I came out okay. Um, but the process of, uh, of coming now to um, the end of, of my training and being um, as a Zen priest and being fully uh, transmitted and presented into the world um, as a teacher, um, now to teach um, through my body uh, rather than just through my mind and experiences and what that would look like and what that means um, is very interesting. You know, um, the times when I can't do things and sometimes I can, and, you know, and how, when I can't, how that's disappointing, you know, to, uh, to, um, some of my students or, you know, these kinds of things or when I struggle financially. So all of the, the you know, when you're struggling, period, you're usually struggling all around. It, 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 you know, it's also a spiritual struggle if it's financial or it's physical illness. And so, um, I'm generally well, and I'm glad of that. But I, I've come to understand that um, what some of this is for me on a spiritual level is um, the fear to become fully, uh, you know, to fully take on um, some of the uh, uh, gifts that I have come into this world with. And I think I, I being in Zen, I've done a lot of this uh uh, uh, letting go of some of these stories I've had in my mind and these things that have been imposed upon me so that I can come to um, a full life as and come fully with the medicine and gifts that I've had, uh, that I have when I came into this world. And so I feel that there's this, there's this level right now, and that's why the body is speaking to me, screaming. We're talking about screaming. And it's an unacceptable body sometimes in my mind. Oh, it's not, it's not perfect. Um, it uh, used to be the color, but that's not the problem anymore, or, you know, or how I look. I, you know, I don't feel those that kind of hatred anymore, but there's still something in my body in which I reject, you know, there's a rejection. 
And so this, this, I think, journey that I'm going to have as I age, and I think that a lot of us are aging right now, that uh, this spiritual path of embodiment is um, going to be uh, quite powerful as I walk through it and pray and um, remember and connect uh, what my calling is. And I do know what that is, um, even in a shamanic way, what my calling is. I have one and I've known it all my life, and I've never uh, walked it in name necessarily. I've been a lot of things in name. And so now those things I've been in name are um, are not needed anymore. Even Zen priest is not needed necessarily anymore for this leg of the journey. And for this leg of the journey, I'm purely that embodied self that is holding that spiritual gift and medicine that I had when I came into the world. And, and I'm ready to um, walk that walk. And, and it's the edge. It's a, it's um, a little bit frightening because I don't know really what it is. And, and there's no name for it, you know, what I'm becoming. And what I'm becoming is not becoming anything, really. It's a dying away. And so I think a lot of us are going through that. And it's very frightening. It's very frightening to, to look and, and see a very short horizon you know, in one's life. And so that that's my edge now. Wake up and go, oh, my God, <laughs> what happened to the last 40 years, <laughs> you know? And uh, so it, it, it has, I, felt, I have felt grief, a lot of grief. And then I also have felt a lot of joy, you know, because I do feel that um, I understand the nature of this embodiment even more in this boundless life with the illnesses and um, or the chronic pain, I should say. And I do feel I will come through that. I will come through that. And, uh, and I want to be able to uh, say less and model more by how I am, how I'm being, you know. And uh, I don't know how I'm going to do that because I'm already on my, on my next book. So it's kind of funny. But... Uh, it, it is, um, you know, a, uh, a, a still a path, and that's my edge right now. Is yeah, so dealing with these things. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Zenju, for your honesty and integrity and outspokenness and vulnerability. And also, I want to congratulate you on your Zen. I guess we won't call it a diploma, as you tell the people you work with. Yeah. There's no, no diploma, but no. becoming a full Zen priest. So congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Zenju Earthlin Manuel, and she's written a book called The Way of Tenderness, Awakening Through Race, Sexuality, and Gender. Thank you, Zenju, for this conversation. You gave me quite a lot to reflect on and work with, and I feel really grateful. Thank you. Okay, thank you for asking. Soundstreet.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>